1: Welcome to Your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and my guest today is Lauren Kennedy, and she joins us to share the importance of people-first leadership in retention and employee development. Now, Lauren is a 27-year-old retired employee, and I love that because I can't be hired. Seriously, I get that. When she said that, I just went, uh uh-huh. Some of us do not need to be working in other people's offices. We need to create our own businesses. And that's what she did. She's obsessed with the adage, treat people how you would like to be treated. And she says that she firmly believes that the solution to the American labor shortage is adopting a people-first approach to doing business. And I'm going to ask her what that means exactly. So, in fact, after one too many poor management interactions, Lauren handed in her resignation and registered for an LLC. So she left corporate culture behind, completely behind, and designed her own People First Learning organization. And she now dedicates herself to becoming a better manager and leader every single day while helping sales and marketing teams master HubSpot and Salesforce. We're going to talk about those two. Good morning, Lauren. Welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you here.
0: Morning. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to our chat.
1: I completely laughed when I saw a retired employee. Because <laughs> <laughs> seriously, <laughs> I am unemployable and proud of it. You cannot hire me. <laughs> you just can't. For starters, I don't play well with others. I run with scissors, and if you want coffee, you have to get it Joan damn self. And I'm, you
0: know, I'm an A-type personality. Don't tell me what to do. I don't like it. <laughs> so there's that. No, I agree. I, I consider myself a bad employee. <laughs> um, before I went with retired employee, I went with bad employee. I'm I'm always looking further than the scope of my role, and I always ask questions, and I always push back, and I I feel that in a lot of workplaces that's categorized as a bad employee. So, that's been my experience.
1: Which is a shame because I mean you really want people to be interested and engaged in coming up with better ideas. Yeah, And sometimes you as a boss may say, that's not a better idea. But if you stop and think about it or, you know, down the road, you go, man, that wasn't a bad idea after all. There's nothing wrong with being a bad employee when, when it is you trying to make things better or asking questions or being alert and just being there. But that's not always how it works, I'm afraid.
0: No, I agree. And and it's something that I work on with my team. I'm making them unemployable elsewhere in a way (laughs) Um, by teaching them to be bad employees because I uh, openly push on giving feedback up, like managing up and coaching me as much as I'm coaching them and being free to be confident in what they're doing and feel comfortable making strategic decisions and going further than their role as far as they're comfortable just to be contributors to the team, not employees underneath me, because I look at our organization as very non-hierarchical and uh, invest a lot in making sure that stays true.
1: (laughs) Well, when you quit, walked out, stomped out, whatever it was that you did, I would have loved to have seen that. How did you... (laughs) Look, when I left my last job job, and the only reason I had a job job was because I was going to school at night to get my computer science degree, and I was working... During the day, and when I finally was able to, i think I was there almost exactly a year, and I skipped out I gave my you know I gave them my notice, and they kept saying, "Can you stay, can you stay, can you stay?" And I stayed a little bit longer than I needed to or wanted to, but they couldn't find anybody to replace me. go figure, and the day I finally left, I skipped out the door, I skipped an adult female in heels, skipped down those stairs, skipped across the parking lot, and I think I was singing, and I never looked back. (laughs) It was a happy day.
0: (laughs) Well, I think that whenever you resign from a remote position, it goes a little bit differently. (laughs) Um, So I was across the country. I was across the country from this employer, and I resigned to HR directly um, via an email and a follow-up phone call. So the I guess skipping out of the office of it all didn't necessarily happen, but I uh, didn't regret it for a bit and definitely felt a weight off my shoulders after it happened. So for me, it was more of like quiet complacency than a physical display of skipping out of the office. However, I have left jobs with that type of uh, mannerism walking out the door before of just being happy and lighter. But for me, it was more of just mental um the, the process of resigning in person is handling it, handing in a resignation letter and cleaning out your desk, and it, remotely it's emailing a resignation letter, having an uncomfortable phone call, and uh, packing up your stuff to ship them back. So it's <laughs> a little go. bit different, but works the
1: same. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's talk about your age, because you're 27 years old, and you have started a business with employees. That's, that's impressive. Let's talk about that.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I'm 27. And there's, there's a lot of factors that go into that, I guess. It's it's interesting, because there are people much younger than me that are far more successful, and of course, much older. And I I think that it's interesting that there's still a stigma around being a young business owner, because their age really isn't a factor anymore. I I think your success ties to your ability to relate with others and also master technology. (laughs) Um, Because so much direct success these days is our ability to work a computer, unfortunately. But that's something that I'm pretty skilled at. I am tech, tech savvy. Um, but the, the bigger factor is being able to recognize what other people need from you and being able to serve them in a way that makes sense. And for me, I started hiring people because my business exceeded my personal bandwidth. It wasn't necessarily a goal of mine to start a business and hire people. A goal of mine was just to work in an environment that I was comfortable in and proud to be a part of. So I decided to create that myself. And as that grew, my team grew. And as I started hiring, I didn't hire from a profit bottom line perspective. I hired from a who do I want to be a part of this environment and what could they contribute to it and how could we grow them? Because I very much focus on who would benefit the most from working here and how can I grow them as people while they work here? Because I very much believe that every job becomes a part of your life we talk about work life balance and how those are separate things and i don't really think there's yeah. the
1: there's you cannot separate them no. and especially as entrepreneurs my office is in my home I'm, i don't know if you live work from home or not but i can't separate it i mean it is nothing at all unusual for me to walk away from my desk and go put on a gumbo you know start putting together a couple and then running back in here and working on a website, you cannot separate them. And remember that, I don't know if you remember this or not, this last job, job, job that I was in. And most of my life I've been unemployed, but I remember coming home and just still reeling from the god awful day or the people that I was surrounded with. You couldn't separate it. I'd come home, you know, just still miffed.
0: You can't separate that no no you can and it's really just finding work life harmony in my opinion and there being able up. to have a mm-hmm, yeah and being able to have a job that fits into your life because so often and historically we've found our job and then fit our life around it so we relocate for a job or we choose our house based off of the proximity to our job and what our commute's going to look like and our job has been such a primary focus point of our life, and I prefer to look at what type of job is going to fit the lifestyle that I want and what type of job is going to help me grow while I'm there. Because so many employers are focused on what this person's going to deliver to us, and so few are focused on how are we going to grow and make this employee a better person for having worked here. And that's really my focus. Good point.
1: And, you know, I didn't even think about seriously because my my office is in my home. It didn't even occur to me to remember the good old days when I had to work where I lived. You know, I needed to be close. I didn't want to spend hours and hours commuting. I had forgotten about all that. Thank you for reminding me. I hated it, but thank you for reminding me. Yes.
0: <laughs> Before I relocated to Wilmington, North Carolina two years ago, I lived in Nashville, Tennessee, and Nashville has grown faster than the infrastructure to support it from a transportation perspective, but my commute to work was about an hour each way each day. And, <laughs> and it, it was just rough. And my, my workspace is now in our little, what would be an Eden kitchen nook because I really like being out in the house whenever I'm working, <laughs> but um, I don't commute anywhere for work anymore. And, and I enjoy that. And I, I think it's a better lifestyle to be able to have my dogs around and just be in my environment And I'm super introverted, so the ability to shut it off and go walk away from my desk or turn off Zoom or Google Meets and not be on video anymore is super helpful to me because uh, I communicate better on Slack than I do desk pop-ins, and I haven't worked in an office in about three or four years now, and I personally never plan to go back to one.
1: No, you're speaking my language. I'm also an introvert. I'm not shy, and I don't have any filters, but I do need to be left alone. And I mean, I need to be left alone. I need to be all by myself in my own mind, thinking and plotting world domination, obviously, Mm -hmm. and just doing whatever it is that I'm going to do. But I realized when I was really pretty young that I was an introvert and I was never going to be really comfortable being around a lot of people a lot of the time. So I created a business that allows me to do
0: what I want to do, darn it.
1: And I love it. Sounds like you did, too.
0: Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed it, and I I freelanced before this, and whenever I decided to quit my job and go full-time on my own, I really just wanted to freelance, and as I started to hire, I wanted to make sure that the lifestyle that I was able to imagine as a freelancer was the lifestyle my team had, too, so if they need to hop out for an appointment or if they want to change their work schedule where they're working a four-day week or they're working a longer week or whatever they have the flexibility to do that so we have the structure of team meetings and clocking in and tracking hours we are an agency but we have the freedom of being able to live our lives how we want and not just being stuck a o'clock or a nine to five and to me that's super important because i think that's the future of work i think if you're requiring a nine to five just to have a butt in the seat you lose productivity, you lose employee motivation. And there are so many times for me personally and for everyone I've talked to that works in an office where it's three o'clock on Friday and you just sit there for a few hours because you have to be there until five, but you're not doing anything. And if you're having a bad day, you just sit there and you just stare at your computer and quote unquote, look busy, but you're not actually working. And so giving people the freedom to choose which hours they're most productive during the day and when they wanna work really increases their productivity, their motivation and their drive to perform well. Because
1: they're getting to work on the internet. It does. And listen, there's nothing more exhausting than trying to look busy. And listen, I mm-hmm. we talk a lot as entrepreneurs, we talk a lot about when are we mo- the most productive. And some people say, oh, in the morning. And others will say, oh, at night. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm very productive at least twice a day, very early morning. And then, you know, I'll... Sh- you know, I'll shut it down around two o'clock in the afternoon because I'm tired. My focus is shot. I've been, whatever it is that I've been doing, I've been at it full bore. And then about seven o'clock at night, and I don't know why this happens, all of a sudden like, oh, and I, my ideas pop up and off to work. I may well be in here until 11 o'clock at night, but I'm very productive. So it's kind of it sounds like you you and your people are finding their own rhythm or rhythms, and working when they're the smartest and the most rested and the most productive, and the most creative. Creativity is critical.
0: Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, I um, I spoke with one of my newest team members last week about how he feels like he's never done it at the end of the day and like wishes he had more time in the day. And he asked me if I'd be okay with him working 50-hour weeks so he could make his days longer. And I was like, no, I I actually would not be okay with that. However, if you wanted to work four 10-hour days and make your days longer but work less of them, I'd be kind with that. And he was just completely shocked that that was even an option because in most workplaces, changing your schedule is not an option. So he thought in order to get longer days, he'd have to work longer days every day. But instead, he's now starting a four-day work week this week with working longer days. So he feels like he can fully complete his tasks and have longer weekends. And he was really excited about that and said that he's excited because he'll get to travel more. And he talked about all of the opportunities it would open up to have a three-day weekend. And to me, it's those moments of like realization and those moments of having your life opened up a little bit by this job um, that really make it so rewarding for me to be able to make that difference for the people on my team.
1: See, that was a brilliant I mean, that was absolutely a brilliant solution and and I completely understand it. I mean, I've got people my team works pretty much like yours does. They work when they can, when when they're at the best and they may be working at 11 o'clock at night. They may be working at 4 o'clock in the morning. It doesn't matter to me as long as the work is done. It really doesn't matter to me. I do need to keep track of them. I do need to, you know, be in touch with them and not just say, oh, good job. You know, I need to know what's going on. It is my business. But there's no 9 to 5 in mine. never has been, not even for me. I mean, as entrepreneurs, most of us don't know what a 40-hour work work week is because we're always always thinking and doing and creating. I don't even worry about how much time I spend. I just do what I need to do and what I love to do and it works for me.
0: Agreed. Yeah, forty hour work week sounds funny to me at this point, but I uh I love what I do and, and I'm at a very flexible point in my life and so I have the time to give to my job and that's what I'm doing. Like I I don't look at it as work. Like I'm growing a company, I'm growing a team, I'm serving our clients. And like, for me, whenever I get burnt out it's from an emotional perspective, not a work perspective of just like, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty empathetic and very in tune with how others are feeling and, and their perspectives. So like when my team feels stressed, I feel that stress. But for me personally, I haven't experienced burnout of like, Oh, I can't do this anymore. It's more like, oof I've felt a lot this week. <laughs> I've felt a lot of energy. I've felt a lot of heaviness or, Um, this has been kind of like an emotional burden, but I wouldn't say that I'm quote unquote emotional, but I do feel the feelings of others. And like, if we've had a taxing week as a team, I definitely feel a little bit worn out at the end of it, but I haven't felt burnt out on the actual stuff I'm doing here. And that's a super rewarding feeling considering in most positions around 10 months, I've been like, all right, what else is out there? Maybe I'm done with this, um, but I've never gotten bored here. And that's been the most rewarding part of this. (laughs)
1: I would think so. You're speaking my language, seriously. I mean, I don't even know why I'm on the show, because you're saying everything that I would be saying. So thank you for that. But listen, wh- how did you – I'm curious, and I'm sure the audience is too. I mean, you retired. You, you retired. You walked away from a position. <laughs> what sent you in the direction that you are now in? I mean, you you said that you were you know, working remotely, that you've always kind of been – somebody who was in a service-based industry, but what got you doing? What were, I'm just curious, what's the story? How did you get where you are now? Because it's really unusual, and the reason I'm asking, it's very unusual for somebody to be your age or any age, really. I'm not picking on your age at all. I think that's phenomenal. <laughs> but to walk out and say, okay, I've got these skills, and I'm sure you said that, you listed your skills, I've got these man skills, I know how to help other people. What What were the steps that you took instead of going to find another job, you just opened up a a new business? That's scary for a lot of people, and that's why I'm asking because a lot of people go, oh jeez, oh jeez, you know I'm listening to this and she say, it sounds wonderful, but oh crap, I can hear people saying it right now. How did you find the guts, the courage, the money, the wherewithal to do something
0: like this so I- I think that there's a lot of parts to this answer, but I think that there's it was, two it was types a of confidence.
1: Question. Sorry, I was just rambling.
0: <laughs> no, you're fine. I'm just running through running through all my answers. So, there. I think there's two types of confidence, and I think that's foundational in answering the question. Um, two types of confidence. One is of self, and one is of ability, and for me, I have always struggled with the confidence of self. Like Brene Brown talks about vulnerability and feeling worthy and um, shame and guilt and all of that. And that's the type of confidence I've struggled with, but I've never struggled with confidence of ability. If I think that I want to do something or decide that I'm going to do something, I I usually don't have that thought of, oof, what if I can't or what if I'm not good enough or what if I can't figure it out? I, I haven't struggled with confidence of ability. And so when I thought about I don't want to be in this environment anymore, I maybe I just want to work for myself. I didn't have that moment of second guessing of like, ooh, what if I can't do that? Or what if I can't find clients? Or what if I can't start a business? Or what does that even look like? My um, my confidence gap was not there. So my confidence has come from, ooh, should I start speaking on podcasts? Can I do public speaking? Do people want to listen to me? And that's more self-doubt than it is confidence of ability. And I think that confidence of ability is what gets in the way Of people starting a business, of course, there are financial factors, risk factors, but the confidence of being able to think, yes, I can figure it out, I can make a profit, I can do this, is is a big barrier. And so first step is just being able to say, yes, I can do this and go prove yourself right. From a how did I get where I am now, I started my career in logistics and ended up doing trade show marketing and planning trade shows on a national scale for an international business. And in that process, I did a lot of pre- and post-trade show communications, meaning like emails and stuff like that for the people that were attending. And in that process, I learned about email marketing and how to target an audience and how to really connect with someone through digital communications. And with my education, I have a psychology degree and a master's in business, and I found email marketing and the, the process there to be a nice blend of marketing and psychology Because your goal is to create messages that target people and really resonate with them and capture their interest. And so I've taken a psychological basis to um, marketing and communications, which is a more popular niche now, but wasn't necessarily when I was doing that. So I started taking on freelance work outside of my regular job to figure out more about marketing automation. So I worked in tons of different platforms. I've worked in pretty much every email provider out there, (laughs) or email service platform, to figure out which one do I like? Where's my niche? What are my skills? So I've worked across all these different industries and took on freelancing in addition to my regular jobs for a few years. And so whenever it came time to quit my full-time position as a marketing automation specialist, I just decided to take freelancing full-time because my income from freelancing was more than my income from my full-time job at that point. So the full-time job was there for benefits, perceived stability, and my resume. But I started reflecting on it and there really isn't stability in a full-time position because your employer can decide to lay you off tomorrow, but with a freelance gig, you may have six of them. And so if you lose one client, you've lost a sixth of your income instead of all of it. And you can control that more. So you can choose to take on more clients or less or whatever. Whereas in a full-time job, your entire destiny is tied to one person's decision on if they're going to keep you or not. So to me, I've, switched the risk calculation and decided it's more risky to tie all of your income to one position. And whenever I chose to quit, I saw that freelance income had a much higher potential than regular income, salaried income. And so to me, I had the confidence in my ability to do it. I had the skill set and the knowledge of the market to know that Salesforce and HubSpot is a really niche skill that people need to know how to use so they can integrate their CRM and their marketing automation tool Those are my favorite systems to work in. So I said, why don't I specialize in this, do it myself, make more money, and be in an environment that I want to be in. So to me, it was more like a common sense logical decision rather than a huge leap of faith or jumping off a cliff like it's somehow or sometimes compared to whenever you leave your job and start a business.
1: Exactly. And for those of who are are listening and are not quite sure what CRM is, it's customer relationship management. We all use it. Whether we're using HubSpot, whether we're using an email tool, it's customer relationship management, CRM. And anybody who is online or has a business of any description online is working at some level in CRM. So let's go to the importance of people-first leadership because you talk about that a lot. And I read an article that you had written, I think it was on Medium, called The Great Resignation. What is that all about? Because I think that's important.
0: So the article on Medium, I wrote that about two weeks ago. Um, It took me five hours to write and it was very much, uh, if you're a writer or you enjoy writing, you can relate, but it was kind of like an article written out of anger. (laughs) Um, And I very much enjoy what came out of that, but I've been trying to find the words for a few months because there's so many messages in the media about, well, people want to work anymore. It's impossible to hire someone. It's impossible to find someone to work for me. And whenever I posted my last position to work at this company, we had over 300 applications. So I have seen definitive proof that that narrative is not necessarily correct. And it was an entry level position that's lower skilled than some of the other people on my team. And so for me, it wasn't that there's just highly skilled workers. It's, it's just that we're not creating an environment that's appealing. And For me, I've had a strong example in my life of being people first through my grandfather. And whenever I've looked around at how businesses are structured and how people are treated, work is not designed for people. (laughs) It's designed for results. And so when I've looked at creating a company, I wanted to create one that actually cared about the people that work there and the people that it serves. So For me, the great resignation is not about people not wanting to work or not liking the job role. It's about not seeing themselves in the culture. It's about not fitting in with the place that they work. It's about not being treated as humans, but being treated as resources. And so when we look around and say, how do we hire? How do we staff? How how are we going to achieve these goals that we've set for ourselves? My challenge in that article is for managers to look inward and think about the expectations that they've set. Because as someone who started their career in logistics, I know that what goes into fulfilling consumer expectations from a delivery standpoint, like the example I use is Amazon, and whenever we start promising more to our customers, we start demanding more from our employees. And if we don't make sure that we've set ourselves up to fulfill those promises before we make them, we put additional expectations on internal employees instead of resources or giving them better tools. And instead of establishing a culture of support, we've set unrealistic expectations and follow up with a culture of punishment because they didn't reach the expectations that were not realistic to begin with. So for me, I think creating a department or just a reflection from an executive team to look at your organization and say, are we truly people first or are we, are we just results focused? Because, If you don't take a moment to do that, you're going to keep hemorrhaging people, and you're not going to be able to find anyone to work for you, and that's going to continue to be the trend because there are a lot of mission-based entrepreneurs. There's a lot of mission-based organizations that are taking culture to heart, and if you're not on that trend, then you're losing because we've talked about, oh, well, if you're not innovating, if you're not creating the best product, if you're not driving revenue growth, then you're behind. But I think now the metric that we need to be paying attention to is our people. What is our attrition rate? What is our employee satisfaction rate? And that's not just tied to salary and benefits. That's tied to -to day-to-day treatment because there are a lot of employees at this point, people on my team included, that would take a lower over a higher-named company or more prestige just to work in an environment that they'd enjoy and feel like they were a part of and like they were belonging. And it's time for us to take notice of that. And after I published that article, <laughs> I didn't really expect anybody to read it, but it's, it's really gained traction. And I had someone reach out from a very large organization whose title was senior culture manager. And she said that she's joined this organization and she's leaving because the culture is so terrible and management is awful. And she's really struggling to be a part of it. And and she is in a cultural focused role at a large, large organization. And she resonated with what little old me wrote about culture and how organizations are managing it and how alone she feels in her organization that she was hired to fill a role that she feels is impossible to fulfill because the organization is not committed to actually enforcing and growing a culture. They just wanted to hire someone with a title to be able to check the box of focusing on culture. And it's, it's not a box that can just be checked off by hiring a role. It's an organizational commitment and alignment issue of being able to actually invest in designing, implementing, and maintaining a culture that's worth being a part of. And for me, of course, I have a team of five. So it's pretty easy to set expectations and (laughs) manage them internally on this team. But I also have created a team of accountability where we all hire for the culture of we agree to be people first. And I have a team of people that will hold me accountable and one another accountable if I find us falling out of that. And to me, that's going to be maintained no matter how large we get and it it's something that needs to be taken note of by these large companies that think a cultural statement or an update to the website is enough because it's not
1: no it's not and you know this is a topic that pops up over and over and over again on this podcast in one way or another it's apparently a very important part of how we do business, how we expect to do business, how we want to be treated on, you know, what, whatever side of the desk we're on. And this is not new, although it didn't, it's starting to reach, I think, critical traction now. But when I first noticed, you know, the importance of culture was years ago with Zappos. You know, Zappos was was one of, the, the shoe company was one of the, the very first companies that said, You know, we're going to treat our employees like they're humans, like they're real people. They have needs. They have desires. You know, they may have a sick child. They really can't come into work. There's a lot of different things. But for for me, at any rate, Zappos kind of started my, I don't know, my interest in company culture. But now more and more people are aware of it. You cannot just treat us, you know, clock in, clock out, do what you're told. Nobody gets hurt. That is no longer acceptable.
0: No, it's not acceptable, and it it never should have been. (laughs) And uh, in the article, I referenced that COVID was really the tipping point. Um, This has been something that's growing and kind of bubbling to the surface for years. But whenever people saw companies reset their expectations in the face of a global pandemic of we're closed because we can't have staff, we're closed because we are under, (laughs) like, laws where we can't be open and operating – and you can work from home because of this pandemic. Once they saw the employers um, compromise due to a situation, we saw that it was possible to change the expectations that have been set. Like, yes, it took something huge, like a global pandemic, in order for them to actually change that expectation. But what or, like companies and employers proved to their teams is that expectations can be reset and work environments can change. And so now that we've proven that, you have your proof of concept that it will work So why do I have to come back to an office? Why do we have to be open those extended hours? Why do I have to do that? Because you proved that we can continue as an organization without it. So why is the expectation the same as it was before if we've proven that we can do better by the team? Why would we choose to do worse by our employees? Because the pandemic has lessened or, and that's not a statement. I'm not commenting on that, but once this is eventually over, (laughs) um, why do we have to go back to how it was before when we've proven that this can work and sustain our organization?
1: Well, and it makes sense to really stop and look and say, okay, do we need these high rents? Do we need employees that have to commute one and a half hours? Do they need, let's talk about New York. In New York, just a one-room bed sit is what, $5,000 a month? No, thank you. And they found... And I'm just going by memory here, but they found that, you know, after the pandemic first started and people started zooming in and doing whatever they were going to do to work remotely, that a lot of people just left these really high-priced cities and moved out to another area where they could have a lot more room and a dog. You know, they could just do better things. Of course they don't want to go back, would you? I wouldn't. I'd refuse. Did I lose you? Oh shoot. Looks like I might did I lose you? Hello. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
0: Oh,
1: okay, you're you're bouncing. <laughs> what what happened here? So, no. can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear uh, you. I don't
0: know. Oh. I'm still here.
1: Okay. So, um <laughs> I
0: got to love technology.
1: I do. I'm a I'm a nerd in stilettos. Okay, so Basically, I agree with you. You know, people don't want to go back to something they either couldn't afford, they didn't enjoy, why shouldn't? there's be a bit of a reset for employers to say listen this is working it's not the way we used to do things but it's working so I think a lot of it and this is just me taking a wild guess is just that we are so entrenched in how we used to do things that some people are just saying you got to come back you got to come back and they're finding out that people just are not going to for whatever reasons.
0: Agreed and and it's definitely a power shift of employees basically saying, no, like, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) And you can either adjust to that or I'll go find somebody else that can, because there are so many open positions. And I, I see no reason to go back to the way it was, but we are creatures of habit. Um, We, we like our habits. We like to be in our routines, but our habits have changed and our routines have changed. So Now it's not necessarily feeling like we're going back to normal. It's I have to change my routine again. And I've gotten comfortable with this new one that I have, and I like it, and I don't want to change. So if we adapt to the fact that we made everyone go through this big change, or not we, but the nature of what's happened, has changed people, and they are now comfortable making them go through a huge change to go back to something that's not appealing after they've already done that, and everything that we've survived in the past few years, like, why would we do that? What, like What is the purpose other than being able to have control over people and see that they're sitting in their seat and staring at their computer, which I've already indicated does not mean they're productive and it's not a great way to get the best out of people. What is the point other than micromanagement or control? You can save office costs. We can help the environment by not driving everywhere. And you can have a happier workforce that you can retain longer because you're giving them what they want. So what is really the argument? Unless you're in a, obviously a service industry where you're, directly interfacing with people and have to be there. Like, what is the argument for it? I don't see it.
1: I don't see it either. Okay, so we talked a bit about reverse conditioning in our pre-interview. What is it? Why does it matter? And what does it do?
0: So I mentioned that I'm training my team to be bad employees if they were to work elsewhere. And that training I term is reverse conditioning. So before I started this company, I read the book Untamed by Glennon Doyle, talks about breaking out of the situations that have been set for you and figuring out what your own path is and how you should be relating to the world. And what I took from that book was the concept of reverse conditioning. And conditioning, as we've learned in science class with Pavlov and the dog, is whenever you're given a certain stimulus, you react a certain way. Um, And in corporate culture, we enter that from college or whenever we start work, and we start to see certain behaviors that are rewarded. So we see certain behaviors at our company and how that leads to a promotion or certain behaviors and how that leads to a demotion or firing, and we start to mirror the positive behaviors and try to avoid the behaviors that are perceived negatively. And some examples of those (laughs) would be uh, taking charge or talking over other people in meetings or Being the loudest rather than being the smartest is often perceived as good in workplace culture, so we start to talk over people or try to be the first to respond as soon as somebody's done talking, so we can get our ideas out first, because we've seen that to be the path to success, and certain things that are punished are taking on new ideas that potentially outshine management or – Speaking outside of your role or trying to do more are often perceived negatively in certain organizations and so we try to shy away from that. So we're conditioned on how to behave in a workplace environment. So at my organization I actively work against that. So people who have been conditioned to believe that their ideas are not good enough, they shouldn't be heard. I, I work on building self confidence, like I talked about the confidence of self. And for people that have been shot down because of quality of work without the metrics lining up, like saying that you're not performing, although they have proof that they are, being able to build up the confidence of ability. So something I do as a manager is I assess, not in like a specific format, but just by talking to people, (laughs) um, assess where are you at and what have you been told? Like, what are the messages that you've internalized that you've been told and you're telling yourself? Because I believe... My role as making them better people while they work here and as their manager is coaching them out of those narratives so they have more confidence of self and confidence of ability. So that process is conditioning, but in reverse. So I'm figuring out what you've been conditioned to believe and helping you unknow that and unlearn that so you can relearn something that's more empowering and helpful to you as an individual.
1: And see what you said right there is something that I think that many people who are in positions of leadership management should really become aware of and it can be taught it's not something that's you know it's that reverse conditioning it's not something that just because you've done this for 20 years means you have to keep on doing it because it's working kind of sort of you don't need to you know put yourself into to the corner but you need to learn how to be better people person better people manager and I think a lot of leaders, and I'm using quotes there, my little finger quotes, are learning that what they think is leadership is not necessarily working these days.
0: Agreed. And I think that that goes back to our culture defining managers and leaders is the same. But from my perspective, managers are there to assure that tasks are, and tasks and goals and timelines are achieved, whereas leaders are there to inspire and grow people and oftentimes we put people into management roles and call them leaders. So our perception of leadership has changed. And to me, I think we need more leaders that are managers and not managers that are focused on just tasks.
1: Can't argue with you there. Okay, so you started this business, and you decided to go with, We're still now we're going to be talking about CRMs HubSpot and Salesforce. What led you to I mean you said you use them and you like them. How do you use them? How do you help your clients with it?
0: So we help people at organizations that are struggling with marketing and sales alignment is usually the base root cause of the issue and the way that they come to us because they're struggling with that is there are certain data in their systems that seems to be off or Marketing is sending leads to sales too early. So reaching out to the sales team saying, hey, this person wants to talk to us when they haven't actually indicated that. And so there's a misalignment between how their teams are working and therefore how their systems are working. So like I mentioned, I, I look at automation and communications through the lens of psychology as well as marketing and automation. And to me, your systems are based on what humans tell them to do. I mean, your CRM, your marketing automation tool, any system that you use is not running itself. You're giving it input. You're telling it what to do. And so if you start using systems as a company from a basis of misalignment, and if you don't have a process in place, then you're setting your team up to fail. So what my team does is we come in and we look at everything about how your business is functioning not just how your software is bugging out. Like usually people reach out and say, hey, the fields that I'm changing in HubSpot are not saving when I click save. Or the fields that I'm sending back and forth between Salesforce and HubSpot are not staying in sync. So those are usually the trigger issue. And instead of just giving them the answer to that, at first, we zoom out and say, okay, let's talk to someone from your marketing team, your sales team, and your customer service team all at once on the same call. Let's all get on the same page, have a venting call where we just talk about everything that's frustrating, everything that's going on, and figure out what is the root cause of the issues that we're having and start to hear from one another what the pain points are. Like last week, I was on a call with a new client where the sales team wasn't receiving any information from the marketing team when a form was submitted. The people were going on their website, submitting a form, and the sales team had to go to the other system to capture the information and bring it back to Salesforce. So, marketing didn't know that was happening. They've been sending sales incomplete information because it wasn't synced between systems. But if we hadn't gotten on that call where everyone was able to vent at once, they would never have known about that. So we create a culture of revenue operations between marketing, sales, and service. So we actually break down those issues and start to talk about it. So we're all aware of what the other department is experiencing. And then after we figure that out and start to make everyone more aligned, we'll go in and align the systems as well. So once we hear what the team needs and what they're struggling with, we then go design the systems from a people first lens that make sure the systems are solving what the people need. So that's how our firm is different because a lot of firms just say, okay, give me your list of problems. And they go like solve those problems. But if you take that approach, there are a lot of trickle down problems that you don't know that you're causing because all of those systems are used by all of your departments. So, if you start to change something just for the needs of one part department or just because a bug is happening, you don't know what that's going to affect in somebody else's process. So that's what I've done, and that's why I decided to do this.
1: <laughs> and I love that idea. And listen, from a, from the other side of the the perspective, I'll buy something. You know, I'll, I'll invest with somebody that I really trust, that I've, you know, read their books I've watched their videos I really do trust their judgment and all of a sudden and this happened recently which is why I'm, I'm still kind of irritated by it this is a huge huge name and his team is doing a crappy job of nagging me I've already bought but I feel at this point I, I keep getting the same stuff over and over and over again, and it's all sales and marketing, and it's starting to really tick me off. And I'm actually to the point where I feel like saying, I have watched you for years. I deeply admire you. Leave me alone. So I suspect I'm not alone in that, and that may be what you're seeing as well.
0: Yeah, the, the biggest challenges that we address is that people don't trust agencies anymore. Um, myself wow. included. I, I decided to start an agency because of my experience working with outsourced foreign firms where they don't really look at the big picture, they don't provide documentation. I don't grow or learn anything as a part of the partnership. So I decided to try that on the other side and create partnerships where you actually learn the root cause of your issues. You grow as a company because you grow in alignment with your other departments. And you also grow as a systems owner because your systems start working for you instead of the other way around. And to me, that makes us a really strong agency partner because we're not just someone who's fixing bugs or someone who's changing your organizational alignment and actually aligning your systems around your customers' needs and your people's needs. So to me, it's really important that we never get that reputation of, bogging people down or not delivering what we say we will because we deliver exactly what your team is looking for because we actually listened to them when we started instead of just taking a to-do list and implementing it.
1: Well, it sounds like you're using a very logical, linear approach. I mean, you're seeing, okay, here's the problem, here's the solution, here are some potential errors that you're going to come up with if you don't pay attention to all of this listen we all market we all market you know whether it's email whether it's podcasting whatever it is or marketing and if we have a buggy system where we're just literally irritating people what the heck why are you even bothering fix it find out what's going
0: on and fix it yeah And you can't find out what's really going on unless you ask everyone that's affected (laughs) because what marketing was seeing in this instance, and marketing was the team that brought us in, was that they weren't getting some data from Salesforce, but if we hadn't talked to sales, we wouldn't see that they weren't getting some data from HubSpot. And so if you just fix problems through one lens, you really miss the big picture.
1: Excellent. Okay, so you happen to invest in employee learning and development, and that, again, that's part of, you know, your people first. Let's talk about that a bit.
0: I have always struggled with learning opportunities and in positions in the past. Like there's not budget for it. There's not time for it. And a lot of organizations reward employee learning and development off the clock. So that's great that you worked over the weekend and got that certification like kudos to you, but you don't get time during the day to actually work on it. That's it's not going to be paid time. And so for me, I'm really intentional that my team continues to grow while we work here because technology is an ever-changing space. Every quarter, there's an update in Salesforce, and every month, there's an update in HubSpot. So if we're not learning those updates, then we're just stuck in the path of when we previously learned it, and we're not learning new skills, we're not leveling up, which is a disservice to my team and also a disservice to our clients because if we're not learning more, how do we teach them more? So. We have a monthly allowance, I guess you could call it, for education, where every month somebody, like everybody on our team has a certain amount of money they can invest in courses or books or resources that's theirs to use how they want. They can stack it up and go to a conference. They can use it for different courses on Udemy, whatever suits their needs that month, they can use it for that. But they also have time blocked every week to learn. So that ranges from two to four hours, depending on the team member but they get to take HubSpot certifications or train for their next Salesforce certification. And it gives them a space during the week that's just focused on their development and their learning. And so for them, it's leveling up them and like a career mindset of like, this is my skill set. I'm going to take it any position. And for me, it's they're becoming more whole employees and they're learning more and they're becoming more valuable to our clients. And they're also continuing to build that confidence and ability by learning and leveling up systematically every week and an important time cap for me because I cap my employees at 40 hours a week. Like they, they're all eligible for overtime. And so that was a system that I set up for myself of having a salaried team that was also eligible for overtime because so many agencies fall into the trap of, Oh, well, my employees are just going to work 60 hours this week because I decided that we're taking on this new client. We have all this extra work. But for me, I've used overtime three times, or I've paid out overtime three times since my company started 10 months ago. So, For me, it's really important that there's a natural system that's in check of, no, you don't have to work your life away, and you're actually not going to, because I'm going to make sure that you don't, (laughs) but you do have that time built in for training in addition to everything else that's on your plate, so you never fall by the wayside, and you stay prioritized.
1: I love that, and that makes perfect sense to me. So the struggles, the worries, excitement, and hard-won lessons that you have, you know, Gone through while, and it's a very new company. Do you have any case studies you can share, either yours or companies, or things that made you go, aha, okay, learn that one? Uh,
0: the hardest lesson I've learned as a company owner is the hiring process. So, whenever I started hiring, I was like, ugh, the hiring process is so unnecessarily cumbersome. There's so many steps. There's so many people you have to talk to. There's so many forms you have to fill out. And so my approach was just submit your resume and we'll have a quick chat and decide if you're a fit or not. And now that I look back, I kind of laugh at that because how naive. And in that process, I made a really poor hiring decision and had to correct that really early on by letting that person go. And I realized that that could have been prevented by having a more in-depth hiring process. Um, But I didn't want to course correct and overcorrect by going to exactly the system that's been built for hiring. So I designed our own where we have a technical assessment on the skills needed for the job. We have a cultural assessment of just going through and answering questions about what do you want in your life? What do you want in your career? What do you want this job to look like? How are you validated in a role? So not necessarily a culture of how much like me are you, but a culture of what are you looking for and do you have goals outside of just coming somewhere to perform a technical function and then signing off for the day and not really changing or contributing as a person. Um, and then the real change maker in our interview process is all of our final round interviews are done in person. So we make an investment to fly two or three team members to a certain city as well as the top two candidates and interview them in person. And There's so much that you can tell about a person by talking to them for an hour and then taking them out to eat for an hour. And that has been a real game changer in our hiring because we are hiring people that really want to be a part of the team and a part of the company culture and in addition to doing the technical parts of the role. And by sitting down with them and getting to talk to them as a team, we're making sure that this is really a fit on both sides and that they're going to be a true part of this company and not a misstep. And for me, hiring has just been the biggest takeaway. Um, hard so Lauren, <laughs>
1: yeah, I bet. So what happens when you take somebody out for lunch? I, I'm lost. I mean, what are you noticing? What do you find?
0: So we do our interviews in two steps. We have the team meet with them, and then they hand them off to me, and I take them out to eat. So during the team assessment, they're talking about technical things. They're talking about, what type of manager are you looking for? Because my team wants to make sure that I'm the right manager for this person and that that's going to be a good match because they're not going to answer those questions as transparently with me because I will be the manager. But for my team, they're talking to somebody who's actually managed by me (laughs) and they get insights and get to share that because the number one reason people leave their jobs is their manager. And so that's a really crucial relationship to hire for is that I'm going to be the right person to grow and nurture this employee but whenever they come talk to me, it's just informal. It's just, let's go grab a meal and sit there and talk. And from there, you see how they treat wait staff, how they interact with the people who are serving them at the restaurant, um, how they talk about the interview before is something that's really important to me. I'm I really big on hiring for self-awareness. I need to know if you're aware of your like, technical ability, if you're aware of yourself, And if you're vulnerable enough to tell me if you feel like you don't know something, because in a culture of learning and the type of projects we work on, it's super important that you're aware of what you know how to do and what you don't, and that you're comfortable telling me if you made a mistake. That's just super crucial in our environment. So we usually ask questions that are outside of the candidate's skill range. We know that, like they are two steps up from where they would be technical knowledge-wise to see if they say, I don't know the answer. And then to see again, if they come talk to me, if they say, I didn't know the answer for that, because we know like 90%, they're not going to know the answer to that question. And that's by design because we want them to be able to say, and so when I talked to them and asked how the interview went, I asked what was the hardest question. What did you not know the answer to? Um, what were your thoughts on the team? And so I then compare notes with that to the team of what was their hardest question to answer. <laughs> what did they know? What did they not know? And see how those line up because, to me, it's super important that you're aware of how, it, how your answers are. Like if you did know something, if you took your best guess, and if you're comfortable saying, yeah, I didn't know that, because that's super important on this team. But uh, seeing how they interact with others is really important, too. I, I don't want to work with someone that treats people that they perceive to be in less official roles as less than or better than. So being able to inter- interface the waitress, the person taking your order, is super important to me. And you can just observe so much in that environment and you're naturally more laid back because I want to hire a whole person, not just a role. And you can tell so much more about a whole person when you share a meal.
1: Understood. It's interesting that, that, you know, you have that one kind of, and I wouldn't call it a gotcha question, but it's a culture thing, isn't it? It's an old culture. where People would never be able to say, oh, I I don't have the answer to that. And then it got to... Where people say, well, you know, I don't have that answer, but I will find it and get back with you. I actually, I'm just going to say this on the radio. I actually had one person that I was thinking about hiring. And I asked a question and she stopped and she thought about it. And her response was, beats the shit out of me, Robin. I hired her.
0: I <laughs> thought that was the
1: funniest thing. And she's a great person to work with. I mean, she's, And she didn't even really hesitate. She just came right out of her mouth and she said, oh, God, I'm so sorry. And I was so busy laughing that I couldn't. I was like, really? I like you. So you never know what's going to happen.
0: And it's so important because you want that person on your team. You want the person to be able to say, I don't know. I'm not sure. Can you teach me? And whenever we assign work, it's important to me that you have a base level understanding or you're ready to say, oh, I don't know. So you don't spend hours spinning your wheels when we could help like pair you with someone that does know, and they can train you really quickly and you can go finish it. Um, so being able to own that and know that I do need help and I'm comfortable saying that is so important, especially on a small team that's remote. We won't see that you don't know it until it's proven that you didn't finish it or you didn't do it correctly. So being comfortable with yourself enough to say, no, I, I don't know. I need help. is just so essential on this team. Yeah,
1: I've got to ask you, I've been listening very carefully. I've been taking a lot of notes. Are you going to be training a lot of how to hire people? It seems like you should. It seems like you've got another slight career path here. You know, how to hire the way you hire.
0: There are a few different things I'm thinking about. I I think that the interest in my conversations around culture and hiring has been very interesting and obviously you're supposed to listen to the market when it talks so we'll see right now my focus is Salesforce and HubSpot and my team but the more that I connect with people about culture and hiring it there's definitely something that's going to come from that
1: good and when it does let me know and <laughs> we'll get you to come back on <laughs> because this has been a fascinating I will. conversation good. <laughs> And see, I did it on the radio. You can't tell me no. It's tricky. You see how that works? But, but here's, And we've got about three more minutes. Tell people anything that I have not thought to ask or that you think is really important that they hear from you right now.
0: I think it's important to evaluate the environment you're in and see how you feel about it. To try to take an unbiased view and put yourself in the perspective of a friend that's looking for advice, whether you're a manager, an individual contributor, a team member, whatever, just look around and say, is this how it should be? Is this how it should be for me? Because everyone's how it should be is different. So being able to say, am I on the right team? Am I comfortable talking to my manager when I have problems? Am I confident that I'm in the right place? Do I feel supported here? Or as a manager, thinking that for yourself about the people who are managing you, but also am I treating my people in a way that I would have wanted to be treated, and am I treating them in a way that's comfortable for them? Because everyone prefers to be managed differently, and everyone sees things through a different lens. So just do an inventory of the environment you're in, and if it's not the right one, then do something about it, whether that's starting a company of your own, whether that's changing your job, whether that's pushing back on leadership to change the way that you do things as a company – now more than ever is the time to look around and say, is this right for me? Am I in the right place? And to do something about it, because you have the opportunity to, and if you're following someone that's talking about stuff like me or whoever, reach out. The the woman who reached out who was in the cultural position that's having trouble at work, I'm speaking with her later today, and we're having a call out of nowhere because she had the guts to reach out and say, hey, this resonated with me, and I really want to talk to you about my situation and get advice. If you have someone that is that is having that impact on you, reach out to them because people are more willing than you think to help. And now is the time to take that inventory and take action.
1: I'm so glad you said that about help. Listen, it's been my experience with entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, people like me, people like you. We do want to help you succeed. We're not worried that you're going to steal our ideas or copy us. It it just doesn't even compute. We are in business Because we do what we love, and we're there to help other people. So, gosh, yeah, pick up that phone, you know, email. I remember some years ago, somebody sent me an email and said, listen, I was in California. I'm in Southwest Louisiana. But she was in California, and she heard my name mentioned in a convention at this meeting that she was at by three separate people. And she said, I just wanted to talk with you. So I picked up the phone and I called her and I heard, oh, you called me back. I was like, well, yeah, I was shocked that she was shocked. It shouldn't be that way.
0: No, it shouldn't. We, we should be there for other people. And that's pretty much all I'm trying to do. <laughs> and all yeah. that I'm doing is just be there and be available to help others. And if you need that support, ask for it. It's there for you to ask for.
1: Good for you. Lauren, it has been wonderful speaking with you, and I thank you for all of the terrific tips and advice that you've shared with our audience, and I really do look forward to having you come back. So where can people find you, and any last thoughts?
0: You can find me on Twitter, CMN Coastal, and then find us online at coastalconsulting.co. We are HubSpot and Salesforce experts, but we also have a cultural blog that we're building out on how we hire reverse conditioning and everything around that. So coastalconsulting.co for marketing automation or cultural development. And uh, happy to help if you want to reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter.
1: Great. Listen, before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes, Audible, anywhere anywhere else you consume your business podcast. So just look for your partner in Success Radio and take us along on your success journey. Again, Lauren, thank you so much.
0: Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, Contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the
1: podcast tab.